Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast series from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Our reading today comes from Ruth chapter 3. God bless you. Thanks for listening. A reading from Ruth, third chapter. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am, near, uh, I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning. If he will act as next of kin for you, good. Let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, It must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, Bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law, who said, How did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, He gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Now, I, I'm sure many of you have heard this story before, and we're not too shocked by the content today. Uh, we have so much happening in this chapter in Ruth's story. There is intrigue and uh, family and work and romance or something of the sort. Uh, there is a, a saying in, in biblical scholarship that sometimes uh, feet are just feet, um, but in this story uh, it may be otherwise. That's all I'll say about that. I'll let your imagination do the rest. Grace and peace to you from God our Creator in heaven, and our risen Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. About two weeks ago, the world said goodbye to author Frederick Buechner, 
who died at age 96, and he's written great and faithful books like uh, Wishful Thinking, uh, Seeker's ABC, really great book, uh, and you can read it. It's alphabetical. It's very easy to read as a daily devotional. Uh, another one is called Godric, a novel, and uh, another one, The Remarkable Ordinary, How to Stop, Look, and Listen to Life. And I've always enjoyed his writing. Um, I haven't read all his stuff, but I really appreciate this writing that makes faith uh, something not untouchable, but near and real and present and enjoyable. And he has this poetic style, and his words often present a picture of joy, of the everyday, a passion for living and a faithful witness. Uh, but on the topic of vocation, Beekner uh, once wrote this. Oh, there it goes. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet, that's where your vocation lies. So think about that for a minute as we go today. Where is your deep gladness? What moves your soul? What lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And when you find a place in the world that matches that, you'll know where you are called to go. I think that's about what he's getting at. Uh, it's not about a life of, of guilt or fear. It's about doing what you love for the sake of a world that needs that. Powerful stuff. It's one of his most well-known quotes, and, uh, and what I love about it is it just acknowledges this balance in the world, a meaningfulness of life and what we do. And it draws us to those places we, we are, where we are called to serve, to lead, and, and to live. And so many of us long for this kind of fulfillment and stability, along with adventure and joy that can be hard to find at times. We might feel stuck or get delayed by the big and small calamities of life at times, or find ourselves off track or lost or without hope for the future. We wonder, what do I really need? What should I do? Where am I supposed to be? And I heard some of that this week as I was going through Ruth's story, and I, I think we hear that here. She's been there, done that, right, already in her young life. She's been through the tragedies of grief and loss. She's a, she's a widow already in her young life. And loneliness and famine, she's demonstrated yet this great love and loyalty by following her mother-in-law Naomi back to Bethlehem and Judah, declaring where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Powerful. She went and was out there in the fields and she was seen by Boaz gleaning in the field. And Pastor Matt pointed out this to us last week, how God sees us too, knows us and draws near to us in Jesus Christ. God beckons us to see and notice those others in the world who are so often unseen. But what next? Where do we go? How can we know what to do? How do we take that first step toward those neighbors whom God has called us to serve? So today we hear Ruth taking a bold first step toward a relationship that will bring security, healing, hope for her future. And there may have been times in your lives too when you had to take that first step 
towards something new, a step into something unsure, or a step forward. And maybe you didn't know where it would ultimately lead. Maybe you ended up somewhere totally different than you thought, or what other possibilities might be uncovered when you took that first step. Uh, When I got to Iowa to uh, begin my seminary education, called up an old radio contact there in Dubuque. From, uh, now, from 2001 to 2004, I worked uh, for Westwood One Radio Networks, and it was uh, a lot of fun there in Los Angeles. And as part of my job, I was required to keep in touch with radio program directors, especially at country, classic rock, and oldies stations. Do they still have oldies stations? I, like they're hard, not in Las Vegas. They're hard to find, I think. There might be one, yeah. Uh, I could probably uh, name all those old call letters. So it had been about six years since I had talked to this guy and and chatted with Ken Pfeiffer. There he is, Ken Pfeiffer, radio legend. He's the head honcho at 103.3 WJOD in Dubuque, Iowa. Still there, I've been there a long time. So it was a long shot when I called him up. I sent him an email out of the blue to let him know I would be coming to town in the summer of 2010. Didn't hurt to ask, right? But he finally, he did write back at first saying he didn't remember me. It had been a while. I don't blame him. We only met him in person a couple of times. And it was at some late night party in Nashville. So I, I don't blame him. But he did agree to meet me for lunch. And shortly after we arrived into town at the Fraternal Order of the Eagles Club there in Dubuque. You, anybody know what the Eagles Club is? Yeah. So it's one of these local service organizations um, that you know, they rent out the building and they support local charities. And um, if you're a member, you get one drink free every month. So hey, that's a good deal. As I'll just share, as seminarians, we used to stop there. It was in the same parking lot as the movie theater. Oh, there, one, there was only one movie theater in Dubuque, maybe two. There was a, it was right there. So we would stop there at the Eagles Club before going on to the movies theater to watch like a Sharknado or something. Yeah, we, you have to unwind after a week of seminary classes. Uh, so we met there at the, the Eagles Club, and that, and that day they were serving up a mean pot roast and some Mountain Dew. You know, good Midwestern fare. And, uh, and my buddy Ken uh, finally did remember me, and he ended up hiring me on to be the Saturday morning country radio DJ. At seven bucks an hour, it was a fun way to just get off campus and into the community to keep my radio skills sharp and uh, just to get to know some real Dubuquers. That's, that's really what they're called, that's the real word. Uh, and it was just a way for me to share my joy and my gifts for radio, if not necessarily my favorite music, uh, to help add to the staff at the station. And, and some of the folks there I still hear from from time to time and they'll send me a message and ask for prayer when they're going through something in their lives. And uh, I love that they still remember me anyway. Uh, in those early days it was a bit of a risk for me to put myself out there and and not knowing how seminary was going to go. Could I I do this and still support my family and my classes and all that stuff? It was a lot. Uh, But it was like 10, it was like 10 a.m. Saturday mornings. I was on the radio and my professors would would say, oh, Jason, I heard you on the radio this morning. (laughs) It was kind of funny. But it was a first step for me to just be a part of life in this new community, in a new place. Just like Ruth was still new in town when she noticed, she was noticed by Boaz, right? And then welcomed by him to uh, join the women in the field to uh, be given access to the grain stalks 
the full grain stalks, not just the ones that had been picked over, but the good stuff, to get the food she needed to be part of that group, to be protected. So what more could she ask for? I mean, everything was going well, right? But Naomi had something else in mind. I'll let you imagine what that something else is. She gave her instructions, telling her to anoint herself. You know, get, get cleaned up. Go put on some ointment. Get those essential oils out and what we might think of as cosmetics. To go to the threshing floor, that place where, where the grain gets separated from the stalks gathered up into big piles. So you can imagine Boaz working there late at night. It's hard work, and they're, they're, you got to separate all that stuff. After he had his supper and maybe a nightcap, a little drinky-poo, <laughs> he'd gone to sleep. Fast asleep in the middle of the night, Ruth shows up, and, and she did, as Naomi asked, uncovering the feet of the man, and this intimate setting was a surprise for Boaz. In the middle of the night, he wakes up. He was probably a bit shocked to see this woman there. Who are you? He asked. Maybe not remembering her at first. Maybe it was dark and he can't see. Or, or maybe it's more of a, who do you think you are? It was a bit shocking. But she's not there for anything scandalous. We can tell. So that she might imagine what Naomi had in mind. Ruth is, after all, in Hebrew... Eset Kail, a woman of valor, a worthy woman we hear in the text. And Boaz, of course, is certainly known to be Ishgabor Kail, an honorable, wealthy, prominent man. So she's come with a request. And once again demonstrates love and loyalty, this chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed, this steadfast love of God. This loyalty by asking Boaz to spread your cloak over your servant. You go, what is that? What does that mean, spread your cloak? What, what is she trying to do? Is she cold? Maybe, maybe it's cold out there, but no, this is, this is code, okay? This is, an, uh, this is a ritual. To spread your cloak over someone is to, to marry them, to bring them under your protection. Spread your cloak over your servant because you are next of kin. She asks him to fulfill a sacred duty to show up for her and to be the one to marry her, to include her as a legitimate part of the family and come to her aid. Boaz recognizes she was taking a risk and says, you know what, we don't want everybody to know you're here. Listen, get out of here before the, the sun comes. But in taking this first step, she was entrusting her life to him, demonstrating her loyalty to Naomi and to her people, the ones that she promised to be with. Filling that promise she made back in Moab, right? Boaz says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I will do all that you ask for all the assembly of my people. No, you are a worthy woman. Which is cool, right? He didn't say because they know I am an honorable man. Because they know you are a worthy woman. And she's gifted with six measures of barley, more food than, than she could carry, just about a generous token of appreciation from this man a sign of good faith. So he agrees to do all that she had asked, but first, and chapter ends with a cliffhanger, he must settle the matter with another family member. But we can know Ruth's future is about to change. We hear in the story Naomi's voice, the one directing and guiding Ruth, 
Naomi, who calls herself bitter. Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She's working for the sake of her daughter-in-law, giving her wisdom for a stable future in which the family would be sustained, not just for her own needs, for everyone. So she takes a risk too, right? This first step, sending Ruth to the threshing floor. I can't help but think away the ways that our lives are like that. We hear a word, and when we trust the one who speaks it, we can know they're sending us in a good direction. And maybe it might lead us to a place that we never thought we'd go, resulting in new opportunities, ideas, a new future. When we hear God speaking through them, maybe we're afraid at first, too. And we're called to change direction or wonder about what happens next. The story reminds us also that God is the one who is constantly leading us to where we need to go, always taking that first step toward us. When we come to church or we open our Bibles and hear that word, we hear of God's loyalty and love for us. God's steadfast love and faithfulness, calling us beloved that gently leads us at times, that others drags us kicking and screaming to where we are needed most. Sometimes we suffer a little or a lot and yet know that God will bring us through because the promise remains Naomi's suffering will not go unnoticed. Ruth will not be unseen and the future will not be barren. Oh, there's the threshing floor. There we go. Six measures of barley. That's a bunch of, that's a bunch of stuff. Psalm 37, 23 says, Our steps are made firm by the Lord when he delights in our way. And God is with us. We know when we take our very first steps as babies, from the time we're little, learning to walk, learning from family, beginning to hear the stories of faith, God orders our steps as we grow, leading us to places where our deep gladness meets the needs of the world. And in faith, we step out and we can live boldly. We can move boldly, trusting in the power of God's word in us and with us, strengthening us, sustaining us everywhere we go. And we don't go empty-handed either, but get loaded up, maybe not with six measures of barley or maybe not seven bucks an hour, but with God's blessings that we get to carry into the world for the sake of helping and eyes to see all the ways that we get to serve the world around us. Jesus, before he would suffer and die for the whole world, promises his friends as they turn to God with their needs and their burdens and fears that God would hear them, would see them, would take first steps toward them and says, when, for anyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. Eventually. Do not be afraid, Boaz says to Ruth. Oh, where have I heard that before? Hmm. Throughout scripture, right? We always hear that. This is the message from God through the angels to all the people. Do not be afraid when God shows up. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you hear it? Trust it. Because you too have been freed from fear through the power of God's living word. Jesus, 
God with us in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to be afraid of asking for what you need. When our trust is firmly in God, the one who calls us, the one who delivers us, we will not be let down. Does this always happen the way we think it will? The way we want it to? Probably not. And while our plans may not always work out the way we expect them to, God has always known what we truly need, has provided for us the one who welcomes us into the family, who makes us whole, who heals us and holds us. His name is Jesus. He's not dead. He's living. And because of him, we're not outsiders anymore, not foreigners. We are beloved, seen, heard, welcomed children of God. And God in Christ has already taken the first step. He comes to us through the word, through the preaching, through the community of faith who walks with us in all our troubles to reflect the love and loyalty of God back to us so that we might see a little better how loved and valued we really are, that we would know how necessary we are for one another that we would know how faithful God has been all along. Amen.